The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The day was May 8th. It was 1902. The time was 8.02 p.m. It was on this day in history that nearly 30,000 people lost their lives instantly. Uh, The cause of death was due to the violent eruption of a volcano called Mount Pele. The eruption had hurtled millions of tons of rock and debris and boiling lava onto a small city called St. Pierre. Ultimately, though, the cause of death was due to the fact that uh, there was no one who really cared for the people who lived in that city. You see, for weeks, authorities knew that a volcano was coming. There had been smoking, there had been mudslides, but even though the authorities and the government officials knew this, they made no attempts to warn the city. And and because of that, 30,000 innocent people lost their lives without even a chance. In much the same way, there is a coming judgment for the consequences of sin. And it is our responsibility as believers to warn the world of those consequences. You see, Jesus loved us so much that he he came to take the punishment of our sin upon himself. And even, get this, even if you were the only person on planet earth, if it was just you and nobody else, Jesus would have still come to save you. So I want you to take your Bibles, if you would at this time, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 15. For our text today, we're going to be in verse number 1 through verse number 6 here today. Now, before we get there, as you're turning in your Bibles, let me give you some background on this passage uh, before we dive into the Bible study this morning. In this particular passage, Luke chapter number 15, Jesus is going to share three unique parables. Now, if you're new to church world, you might ask yourself, what is a parable? A parable was an earthly story that Jesus would share that would give a heavenly or eternal meaning. Uh, This word was called a, a parable. And these three parables found in the Gospel of Luke chapter number 15 all taught the exact same lesson. And you're going to see this played out again and again and again throughout the chapter 15. You say, what was the subject? What was the point of Luke chapter number 15. The subject was this, that all of heaven rejoices when one lost soul is found. In verse number seven, at the end of the first parable, the Bible says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. In verse number 10, at the end of the second parable, it says in the same way, I tell you, there is more joy in heaven, in the presence of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. At the end of verse number 32, at the end of the third parable, or the third earthly story with a heavenly meaning, the Bible says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of ours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost but now has been found. So throughout this entire passage, throughout the entire chapter of Luke 15, while the characters change throughout the story, that is, a shepherd finds a lost sheep, 
uh, a woman finds a lost coin, uh, a father is restored to a lost son. But while the characters all change, the theme itself does not change, and the main point stays the same. And that is this, all heaven rejoices when one lost soul comes to find Christ. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're so glad to have you as our guest this morning. Uh, on your way in, you should have received a welcome guide inside. There's a little connection card. If you have a chance to fill that out at some point in the service, that would be a huge blessing. We'd love to have a, a record of your attendance here with us today. Uh, for the rest of us, you should have received a service program. And on the inside, uh, there's a Bible study guide that you can use to follow along uh, in the sermon this morning. So I'm going to encourage you to pull those out as you find your place in Luke chapter number 15. For those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text here today, uh, Luke chapter number 15. I'm going to start in verse number 1, we're going to move through verse number 6, and then we're going to have a Bible study marching through these six verses in the scriptures. Here's what the Bible says. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. Now, let me give you some context here. In this day and age, the tax collectors were not very popular in Jerusalem, as you can imagine why. Uh, these were men who worked for the Roman Empire, and so they would go out and tax their own countrymen. And yet it was these tax collectors, and notice what the Bible says, sinners. These people who did not live upright, moral lives. These were the ones that were being drawn to Jesus. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, they complained, saying, now who are the Pharisees and scribes? Uh, these were the religious upright. These were the ones that obeyed all of the rituals found in the Old Testament. These would be your, let's call it this way, your church people. And so the Pharisees and the scribes complained to Jesus, saying, This man, this Jesus, receives sinners. He even eats with them. So Jesus hears this complaining. So what does he do? He, he spake this parable, this, this earthly story with this heavenly or eternal meaning, and he, and he gives them this story. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, what man of you among you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Remember, this is the first of three parables, the first of three earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And so this morning, I, I want to speak on this subject of the value of one soul. The value of one soul. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into our Bible study today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, not just for loving all of us, and we thank you for that. But Lord, we also want to thank you for loving each of us. Lord, thank you for loving each of us in our brokenness. For loving each of us in our shame. For loving us in our good times and for loving us in our bad times. And for loving us so much that you sent your son as a savior to take all the punishment and consequences of our sins upon himself. Thank you for that. 
Lord, I pray that you would stir in our own hearts, Lord, the, the importance of that one person, that one person at our workplace, that one person in our neighborhood, that, that one relative, that one person we pass by when we're at the store. Lord, I pray that you would give us a passion for each one that you place in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time around your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. Since we're in a Bible study, we're going to go just verse by verse through this passage. So let's start in uh, verse number one today. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this brings up one of my favorite subjects in all of the scriptures. It's a specific feature of God's character, which is especially near and dear to my own heart, and that is this. It is that God, by His very nature, is a Savior. That is to say, He is by nature compassionate, He is by nature tender-hearted, He is by nature kind and patient and forbearing and merciful and gracious and loving and forgiving. That is the nature and character of our Heavenly Father. And He's not just a reluctant Savior. You say, what do you mean by that? It's not just like our Heavenly Father is looking down and kind of with a a reluctant spirit saying, well, I guess I have to love them because, you know, they're my children. He's not reluctant in His love by any stretch of the imagination. It's not just that He's looking down thinking, well, you know, I guess I got to love them. He isn't a reluctant Savior, but rather He is a relentless Savior. In in spite of your past, in spite of what you've been through, in spite of what you've had to go through, He relentlessly pursues your heart. In your good times and in your bad times, He relentlessly chases after you. Why? Because He isn't a reluctant Savior. He is a relentless Savior. And there is nothing that He there's nothing that will stop him from pursuing your heart regardless of how much you rebel against him regardless of how much you disobey the reality is he is relentlessly pursuing you we're told by the apostle Paul concerning this characteristic of God it says this it says this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What, what, what's good? When God looks down from the heavenlies, what is it that's good to Him? He says it's good. Who, this, this Savior desires all men, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That, that's, that's everybody. All men, all genders. He, he wants them all to be saved. All ethnic backgrounds, he wants them all to be saved. Everybody who comes from different socio and economic backgrounds, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, he wants all men to be saved. 
red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. It doesn't matter if your past is a, a, a church-going kid who grew up in Sunday school or if you have the past of a, of a drug addict. He wants all men to be saved. He wants all men to be rescued from their hurts and from their pains and their addictions. He wants all men to know the knowledge of truth. He desires all men to be saved. In the passage that we're studying here, we, we find that, that Jesus was literally eating with these tax collectors and with these sinners. Now, in Old Testament times, in these ancient times, to eat with somebody was a symbol of fellowship and friendship. It, it was specifically poignant in that day and that age. There was more of a class system that existed in those days. These types of people would not associate with those types of people. If you were in this group, you did not associate with that group. It was very segregated. And so when someone would come along and they would eat with somebody who was not in their socioeconomic or their religious group, that was a symbol of fellowship. It was a symbol of friendship. And so when Jesus comes along and he sits and he eats and he fellowships with these tax collectors and he fellowships with these sinners, in fact, in parallel passages, you're going to find that he's literally eating and fellowshipping with drunkards and with prostitutes and with the outcasts of society. This was very symbolic. It was Jesus saying, hey, I'm fellowshipping they're my friends. And Jesus comes along and these scribes and Pharisees, they're scratching their heads because the religious, they did not associate with those types of people. They didn't want anything to do with that type of person. They looked down their noses on them. It made them feel superior to, to disassociate with those. And yet Jesus comes along and he's He's fellowshipping with them. He's eating with them. Ultimately, he's loving them. He's caring for them. And this testimony of Jesus brings us to our first thought that we find in verse number one and verse number two, and that is this. Every single soul is worth something. Every single soul is worth something. It doesn't matter your ethnic background, you are worth something to God. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, you are worth something to God. It doesn't matter what your background is, you are worth something to God. It doesn't matter what was done to you when you were a child or a teenager or a young adult. It doesn't matter how dirty you might feel inside. You are worth something to God. You matter to Him. Why? Because every single soul is worth something to God. Genesis chapter number 1 verse 27 says this, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Can I remind you of something? You. You were created in the very image of God. And that makes you profoundly valuable from eternal perspective. You're valuable. 
there are some interesting things in our world that society says is valuable. Uh, we might have some pictures of a few of these things, but uh, in Manhattan, if you want your own parking spot, not just find a parking spot, but if you, you want to own a parking spot, it's going to cost you $1 million to have your own parking spot in Manhattan. And society says that's what a parking spot is worth in Manhattan. It's a million bucks. Um, some of you know what a website domain is. You know, www.somedomain. Uh, the domain carinsurance.com. So if you wanted to go and buy that domain, www.carinsurance.com, it is going to cost you $49 million to buy that domain. That is what society says those letters on the internet are worth. $49 million. The Pink Star Diamond, said to be one of the most valuable diamonds that exist in the world today, is said to be worth $72 million. For that little rock that was found in the dirt somewhere, Alberto Giometti's, he did a, a sculpture. And this sculpture was last purchased for $141 million. How many of you like that in your living room? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know that I'd give 10 bucks for that thing. But society says that's what that is worth. There's a supreme yacht called History. This yacht last cost $4.8 billion for a boat that floats in the water. <laughs> you say, why are you, why are you sharing this with us? Because society comes along and says, wow, this, this is what a parking spot's worth. This is what a rock from the dirt is worth. This is what a sculpture is worth, millions and millions, and yet Jesus comes along and says, what shall it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? Why does Jesus say that? He says it because the soul is of vastly more value than any of the things we just posted on the screens a moment ago. The soul is valuable to God. You are vastly more valuable than any of those things that we just saw. Way more valuable. Way more important. And can I remind you of something real quick? That your value doesn't decrease based on someone else's inability to see your worth. Just because people in your neighborhood don't see your worth or, or just because your family doesn't see your worth or just because an ex-spouse doesn't see your worth or, or just because a child doesn't see your worth or just because a boss doesn't see your worth or just because society doesn't see your worth, just because they don't see it and they have the inability to see it, it doesn't decrease your ultimate worth in the eyes of God. Why? Because one soul is worth something profound. Let's keep reading. Notice, if you would, for a second, verse 3. So because of this, because of this complaining, Jesus spoke this parable 
unto these Pharisees and scribes. He said, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Now, I realize in the 21st century, stories about sheep don't maybe resonate with us the same way it would have resonated with somebody back in this agrarian culture. So let me give you some context to help you get your head around what exactly and why exactly is Jesus sharing the story. So in this day and age, most families during this time would have had maybe up to 15 sheep. I mean, you remember this is an agrarian culture, people weren't very wealthy, and so what they would often do is, is it was very rare for, for one individual to have a hundred sheep of their own, so what they would do is as a village together, they would collect all of the sheep, and they would consolidate their, you know, maybe one person at five, and one person at 20, and they'd consolidate all of these sheep, and, and then they would they would find someone in the community, in the village, who would serve as the shepherd to take care of all of these sheep together. Now, shepherding was a job that was reserved for the least of society. This is why uh, the youngest son, David, had to be the shepherd. It was, not, it was not the job that everybody was vying for. It wasn't the job that everybody wanted. And so it would go often uh, to the, it was a dirty job that would go to the outcasts. And, and then they would hire those people to be the shepherds of their village flock. Now, there weren't a lot of rules about shepherding. In some regards, it was a fairly easy job. Uh, but one that didn't have a lot of, you know, clout that went along with it. And, and so there wasn't a lot of rules, but there was one uh, very dominant rule, and, and that was this. There was one very important rule, and that was this. You don't lose the sheep. That was it. Just don't lose one. That was the big one. If one goes away, you find it, you bring it back, dead or alive, but you don't come home without the sheep. That's why it says in verse number four, go until he finds it. This, this would have been very understood in this particular culture, which reminds us of our next thought this morning that we're going to focus on, and that is this. Not only do we see that one soul is worth something, but I want to remind you that one soul is worth finding. One soul is worth finding. What Jesus is saying is that everybody is important. Everybody is worth the effort to go after. Everyone is worth the work of pursuing. Everyone who is lost is worth finding. Everyone who is hurting is worth loving. They're valuable. One soul is worth finding. Luke chapter number 19, verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man, Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Can I remind you, there are people in Jesus' day who were lost. They were confused. Life wasn't making sense to them. They were wondering, what, what's, what's this thing all about? Why can't we seem to get it all together? 
Why is life so hard? Why is marriage so hard? Why is work so hard? Why is sobriety so hard? Why is all this so difficult? And Jesus came. He came to seek. And he came to save, not just eternally, but temporarily as well here in this world. I want to remind you that no matter how dysfunctional your past or how broken you feel or what people say about you, you matter and your life matters. It doesn't matter what your doctors are saying about your health you still matter. And it doesn't matter what an ex-spouse says about your character. You still matter. And it doesn't matter what past has told you and what peers have told you. It is that you matter to God and you are worth finding. Can I say this? Everybody is worth finding. There is not a person you say, well, what about if they're not religious? What if they don't believe in God? They're still worth pursuing. They're still worth finding. They're still worth chasing to God. A couple of years ago, uh, Jenny and I uh, went to one of these uh, magician shows. How many of you have ever gone seen a, seen a magician, you know, at a, a show or something, and they do all these different acts and, you know, illusions or whatever the case may be, and and we went to see this one act. Uh, maybe some of you have seen these guys on television. Uh, Penn and Teller. How many of you ever heard this name before? These are two magicians, and they kind of work together, and they're kind of a fun show and stuff along these lines. And so uh, we went to see these guys, and they, they do a lot of neat, uh, interesting tricks and different things, illusions and stuff like that. Um, however, uh, these guys are notoriously known for the fact that they are atheists. Like, they do not believe in God. <laughs> they do not believe in the Bible. And they do not believe in Jesus. They do not believe in a heaven or a hell. And they, are, they make it very known that this is just, they're atheists. And, and yet, when this video came out, it kind of shocked me a little bit. I, I, I could try to just tell you, but instead I just want you to see it. Uh, so he jumps on uh, his phone one day, and he, and he just takes this video, and I, I'll let him speak for himself, because I want you to see this as we're talking about one soul being worth finding. Can we throw that up on the middle screen, guys? I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props in the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show. And uh, 
uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about you know honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I think the statement that jumped out at me was, how much do you have to hate someone to not give them the truth? It's pretty deep.
specifically coming from someone who claims not to be a believer. Whoever this individual man was, the reality is this, that he recognized that one soul is worth finding. And whether it's a celebrity or whether it's someone on the streets, every single soul is important, is valuable, and is worth finding. So let's keep going in our text. Notice now, if you would, verses number five and six as we're making our way through our Bible study. Verse number five says, And and when he, the shepherd, has found the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and, and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was which was lost. Now, the Pharisees and scribes who would have been listening to this parable being taught, who were being told this story by Jesus, would, of course, they would have known this scene well because they would have experienced it for themselves at some point. They would understand this shepherd's joy and they would also have understand the celebration that would happen when the shepherd came back with the sheep. The families and the village would, would have all been waiting, wondering if he, he would find the sheep and, and in what condition would, would this sheep have been in. These would be people who, who shared in the ownership of the flock, perhaps, and, and, and they wanted to hear, they wanted to know if, if the sheep was found. And, and so it would be a wonderful and joyous event in the village when the, when the shepherd came back with his, the sheep around his shoulders. And this all leads us to our final thought here this morning, and that is this. Not only is one soul worth something, and not only is one soul worth finding, but I want to say lastly that one soul is worth celebrating. One soul is worth celebrating. Of course, Jesus is applying this entire parable, and he's applying it to the souls of men. He's not simply talking about four-legged animals. He's, he's talking about those who are lost or for those who, who don't know Christ, these, these, these who would have been tax collectors and sinners and drunkards and prostitutes. He's, he's saying that these people are important and, and these people are valuable and these people are worth finding and, and these people are worth something to God. In Luke chapter number 15, verse 7, it says this, I I say to you that likewise, just like there will be rejoicing in this village when this one sheep has been found, Jesus says, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just peoples who need no repentance. It's a beautiful thing when one individual comes to the knowledge of truth. When one person is able to experience salvation and the love that's made available to them in the person of Christ. If you've got your Bibles, keep going now to verse number 10. I love this this verse, Luke 15, verse 10. It says this. It says, there is joy in the presence of the angels. Over one sinner who repents. This is key here. I want you to see this for yourself. 
It doesn't say that the angels are rejoicing. It says there is joy in the presence of the angels. What does that mean? It means that God himself is rejoicing. That God himself is celebrating. And so in the presence of the angels, the heavenly father rejoices. In the presence of the angels, God the father celebrates that there is one who has come. Why? Because that one is valuable. That one is important. And that one is worth finding. And I want to say to you today, you were worth finding You were worth knowing, you were worth loving, and you were worth celebrating. That's what the Bible teaches, but not just you, but those that are outside of the fold. Those who are still lost in their sin. Those who are still confused in their rebellion. Those who don't have clarity on life, those who do not know God as their personal Lord and Savior, they also are worth finding, they also are worth knowing, they also are worth loving, and they too are also worth celebrating. That's what this passage is teaching us. One soul is worth that. Every soul, each and every soul is worth something. Each and every soul is worth finding. Each and every soul is worth celebrating. Uh, Several years ago, I was in Pennsylvania, and I had been invited to speak at a a conference of sort. A lot of churches were all gathering together, and I was one of of two speakers that was going to preach uh, that particular day. And and because it wasn't just one church, it was a lot of churches that had come together for this special meeting, uh, they had rented a, a large auditorium. Um, and I, I can't really remember if it was a school or if it was uh, just a civic center of sorts. Um, but I'd gotten there, and they were having dinner before for everybody that was there. And so I was out just kind of meeting some of the folks, enjoying dinner with them. And at one point, I, I had to go use the restroom. And so I'm, I'm walking around looking, and I couldn't find it. And so I'm kind of walking here, walking there. Finally, way, way far away from where they were eating and stuff, I find this hall, and uh, there's this, you know, restroom sign in the distance. So I'm making my way uh, to where this restroom sign was. And as I'm walking down this long hall, I see something really interesting. It's, it's this, probably this young boy, I want to say like maybe nine or ten years old, not very old at all, nine, ten years old. And he's got this little New Testament Bible. And as a 10-year-old, he had found the janitor that was working at this particular event. And as I briefly passed by, it caught my attention. And this little 10-year-old is telling this janitor about the love of Jesus. And how much Jesus cared for him. This, This guy probably was in his 50s. Just mopping floors, vacuuming. From the look of it, you could tell maybe, you know, he kind of had a little rough past. And, and yet here is this full-grown man just so intently focused on what this little boy has to say as he's just reading him Bible verses. How God loves him. God cares for him. God wants the best for him. And I want to stop, so I just keep kind of going and going to the restroom and a few moments later, I'm, I'm walking out. When I'm walking back, th- this time they're both, they're both sitting and they're praying together. I just, man, it was like really just 
stuck in my mind. I think, wow, this kid. I go back and get into the auditorium, and there's literally hundreds of people there, and they're all getting ready for the service, and, and I was going to preach second. This other gentleman was preaching first, and as this man is preaching, he was speaking on the subject that's similar to what I'm speaking on today, and he, he tells this story about this, this individual who, who has just seen so many people come to faith in Christ, and, and it's really, and, you know, I'm just totally engaged in this story because here, man, it just really challenged me that there's people out there who are seeing people saved and come to faith in Christ, and so he's telling about these, this individual who's seen many, many folks come to faith, faith in Christ, and he's telling stories about this individual and how he's shared his faith, and at the end of the story, this preacher stands up and says that, that, that the individual's with us here today. I'm thinking, oh man, I gotta meet this guy. This is, this is pretty awesome. Here's somebody who's just always sharing his faith, and this is gonna be pretty cool. I'd like to talk to him, and, and he names the name, and, and on the second row, that that same little boy that I had seen earlier stands up. And everybody was taken back for a second because they were expecting it to be this aged, you know, preacher, evangelist type. And this young boy who already at nine or ten years old just had a reputation for just sharing the love of Jesus with people. Again and again and again. And I think of what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 21, where the Bible says Christ left us an example. What was his example? That we should follow in his steps. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and we're called to their follow in his steps. I understand and this particular story, the exact application, of course, is, is Christ is the shepherd. But you and I have an opportunity to co-labor with the Holy Spirit. To be a vessel, to be one that His Spirit uses to show and share the love of Jesus with those around us. So here's, here's my question as we wrap this all up. Who's your one? Who's your one? I, I know it can be overwhelming. We look at the world and we're like, there are billions and billions. There's just, there's, uh, how, how do we see all of these people come to faith in Christ? We look around in our country and just see everything that's going on politically and everything that's going on sociologically. And it can feel overwhelming, just the millions of people even in our own country. And then we can look around our own city and see the tens of thousands of people that are in need and that are in hurting. And, I, and it just can, even with, when we look around in our own neighborhoods and it can seem overwhelming. And, and so Christ focuses our attention and he asks us, one just one do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone who's your one imagine this for a moment imagine for a moment if just the folks in this room were to get a vision for just one individual and we really did. I'm, I'm talking like we really just started praying 
for one individual, just, just really giving our heart and our soul to pray for one specific individual to come to Christ. That God, through his spirit, would use us by his grace to see one person, one soul reached. And we prayed and we served that one individual because we recognize that that one individual is important to God and because that one individual is important to God, that one individual can be important to us. And so you're praying and you're serving and you're showing the love of Christ to them and you're doing your best by God's grace to share with your words the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may not know everything, but you might know something. And so you use your words and your actions and your behaviors to serve, to show and to share Christ's love and possibly even sacrifice time, money, resources. Not, not so a multitude, not so we could have crowds, so we could make an impact in the lives of one. One. A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that by God's grace, we're praying that the Lord would allow us to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to more individuals in the year 2020 than we ever have before in a single calendar year. That, that's our prayer. That's what we're striving toward. And we're stepping out in great faith to accomplish those things and, and to kind of put feet to our plans and get real practical. We've decided that over the next few months, we're going to have several community events we're not big event church, but, but for the sake of getting the gospel to these folks, we're going to do a few things that we're, where we hope to see that accomplished. And this first one is going to be coming up in two weeks from today. Two weeks from today, we're kind of officially relaunching, re, as we renamed and restructured our, our church and really leaning into what the future holds for us, kind of our grand opening. And we have an opportunity just to kind of begin to serve our community. We're doing some things that day where we'll have, you know, some things that'll be somewhat interesting with food trucks on the property just to kind of serve the guests that come. If you come, you'll get a meal voucher as well. And hopefully you can spend lunch with somebody that you invited to have come and be a part. Many of us went out yesterday, literally just went to neighborhoods and invited people to come. Some are going to come in a couple of weeks. We're going to have a work day here on the property. We're just going to try to get this, kind of get the house ready, I guess, to invite our guests to come through on Saturday the 22nd. And then on the 23rd, it's, it's grand opening. But I, I'm here to say it's not just about an event. So we can pat ourselves on the shoulder and whoo. It's about individual people. It's about the one but that one person who will be sitting next to you, that one family member, that one coworker, that one neighbor. It's about those ones that each of us as the church are praying about and are serving and are showing and sharing the love of Christ. We're sacrificing so, so we can make an impact. I just want you to imagine what would happen if over the course of the year, God used each of us to just reach one. Think about the impact that would be made in your neighborhood. The impact that could be made in Fresno as on a grassroots level, 
we're seeing hearts and values and motivations and desires change, not because we can change it, but because the Spirit of Christ changes people through us. Think about the impact that can be made. As we go through these events, there's going to be financial sacrifice that's made. This week, we sent out, we have 30,000 mailers sent to our city, inviting them to come to this event. Now, we're not going to have 30,000 people show up, but we want them to know that there's a church that cares about them, a church that loves them. But I will say this, there's a quite a significant cost that goes with this. Just this event we'll be holding in a couple of weeks will be thousands of dollars. And so I'm asking if as you're here to pour in, as you're praying for this, as you're willing to get involved in serving for this, there might be some and, and you'd want to sacrificially give toward this. I, I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider doing that. In those offering envelopes right in front of you, there's a place that's called Vision. And whatever you give to that will go specifically to these community events that we're doing this year. And if the Lord would lay it on your heart to do something specifically for the one in two weeks, it, it would be profoundly great. We'd be profoundly grateful because we really can't do it without you. If you can't and all you can do is pray and invite somebody, you do that. Uh, we're not trying to guilt trip anybody, but whatever it is that you can do, I want to encourage you to be a part, to invite. Inside your service program, there's a little card that simply asks you, who's your one? So rather than just, oh, hear a sermon from Luke chapter number 15 and go on our way, we're going to take a moment during our prayer and reflection, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit of Christ, who do you want my one to be? And, and pray about it. Say, God, who do you want my one to be? Who do you want to have that, that one person? Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a friend that you know online in some way. Who's that one for you that you're going to pray for? That you're going to share the love of Christ, that you're going to invite, that you're going to sacrifice financially so that lives can be impacted. I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it. You're going to write it down. Here's what we're going to do. It's a little different, all right, today? I'm going to ask you, because as, a, as, as church leaders, we want to be praying with you on these. Uh, we've got these baskets up here in the front, and I want to ask you to fill that out. And in a moment, we're going to come, and we're going to turn those in, because we want to collate a list of people that we can be praying for together with you. And so I'm going to have a word of prayer right now. When I'm done... We're going to just take a moment to reflect. There's a pen right there in front of your seat. I want you to think about maybe somebody that, that you can write down. And then our ushers are going to come and they're going to dismiss us. And here, here's how it'll work. You guys can come down the front aisle, you go out to the side, drop a name in the basket, work all the way around and then come back to your seats, all right? And here's what we're going to do. Please, there's, I have to believe that if you are a child of God today, you have one name that we can join you in praying for. That's all we're asking. One person that we can, that we can co-labor with you in prayer about. And I'll say this, if you don't have anybody, then just put on that list, God, give me someone. Give me someone that you bring into my path to do that. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.